This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Hello, I'm Larry Gifford, a proud member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, host of another podcast called When Life Gives You Parkinson's, and co-founder of PD Avengers. We're building a global alliance of people to end Parkinson's. Join us at pdavengers.com. Have you ever felt like Cinderella at the ball at the stroke of midnight? Just as the carriage is regressing to a pumpkin, the footmen are returning to mice, and the ball gown hangs and tatters off your body, revealing your true reality? Your world slows and stiffens, your speech is garbled, your voice is muted, fear kicks in, heartbeat quickens, the right and left hemispheres of your brain stop cooperating with each other. It's as if my brain is shutting down my body, extreme rigidity kicks in and my my brain goes into fight or flight, misinterpreting a signal that I'm in danger. For some it triggers extreme emotions from rage and fear to sorrow and crestfallen. The feeling could be a sense of despondency, apathy, out of sorts. Whatever it is for you, it's a gut punch. As you probably have figured out already, today we'll be discussing Parkinson's off time, how your experience of off time and my experience of off time and any other person's with Parkinson's experience of off time is completely different. And when Parkinson's goes from off to on, to off, to on, to off. What steps can you take to manage it? Joining me is, is an amazing panel of professionals and just people with Parkinson's. Uh, Dr. Ashley Rawls, MD, is a movement disorder specialist at the University of Florida, uh, Norman Fixel Institute of Neurological Diseases. Sonia Mather is an MD and person with Parkinson's, uh, co-chair of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, diagnosed at the age of 27. Rick Schwartz is a person living with Parkinson's and he experiences off time. Uh, he also is a Michael J. Fox Foundation community member, lives in Vail, and uh, you may remember him as a former professional baseball player and sports reporter. Welcome uh, to all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having us. I wanna thank some of our sponsors today before we dive into the discussion uh, for making this episode of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast possible. Accorda, Amnial, Kiowa Kirin, Neurokirin, and Synovian. Now let's start by defining off time. And for that, uh, Ashley, what is off time? So for our patients uh, with Parkinson's disease that experience off time, that can be when their medications have worn off between doses. Uh, for example, the uh, dopamine uh, treats uh, resting tremor, stiffness, and slowness. And when you're in between these doses and the medication wears off, those symptoms can return. But you could also have other symptoms as well for example, uh, increased anxiety uh, and also freezing of gait as well. So it's different for different people, uh, but usually that's what we define as our off symptoms that occur in between the doses uh, that the patient would take. 
Initially, uh, many people may not experience the off time, but as the disease progresses, um, usually uh, patients do notice that as the fluctuations continue, they will have times when their medication works very well and they have extra movements that we would call, uh, consider dyskinesias. Uh, but then they also have where the medication uh, decreases or, or even stops working that we consider those off times. Great. Now, Rick, you say you have them all, all the symptoms. Uh, talk me through an off time. An off time for me is, you know, after 21 years of being diagnosed, the last couple of years really sort of, I started really noticing the difference. First 15, 16, 17 years, I was pretty lucky and have too many symptoms every once in a while. But now it's like, it just hits me within three or four minutes. Sometimes I'll be, you know, feeling pretty good. And then suddenly I, I get like a buzz in my head. And I, and I I stop walking. I'm shuffling. My face becomes a mask. I I feel like I'm going within myself, and I have to sit down and, and wait till it goes through. And you know, and now it's becoming more and more. It used to be sort of a pattern. I take the drug at eight o'clock in the morning. Around eleven, it start going. It start. Uh, I would start going downhill. So I take one at eleven and five. But now I take. I, it doesn't matter. Sometimes I I freeze it nine in the morning sometimes i don't freeze at all it's just it's just a hodgepodge and when i'm when i'm uh in the in the uh when i'm in that uh, throes of being off can't do a darn thing you know you just have to sit there and wait it out and when i feel on i'm, I'm like i still feel like i'm 35 years old and can still throw a curveball you know i mean i feel good i feel great when i'm on when i'm off i feel like i'm 100 i feel like i'm two different people at this point sonia what's your experience with off times um, mine is a little bit similar. I've been now over 22 years since my diagnosis and for the first while really didn't have that experience, but probably in the last two or three years, I've noticed that prior to my next dosing, usually prior to my next dosing, I'll experience some off time. Um, at times it's maybe a little bit more spontaneous than that, but usually I can look back and see that I either hadn't gotten enough sleep or, you know, there's something stressful that happened that maybe triggers my next day. My off time is primarily motor related, meaning I start to slow down, get very stiff, um, tremulous. I do have sometimes a little bit of anxiety at times and apathy. And uh, I kind of measure my off times more in terms of functioning. Uh, so if I'm not able to get through an activity that I normally get through, I know that I'm you know, pretty much off. So, and, and because it's predictable, I do things like make dinner in the mornings because I know Evenings are probably more off time than, than not. That's a right. lot of salads because it's going to get cold by dinner time. <laughs> can reheat it. Oh, you can always reheat it. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I was diagnosed four years ago um, and I experience off times. So and my wife calls it when I'm in my bubble. Right. Um, so I'll be sitting in a chair and I will just be in my own little world. And I won't, I won't be able to, like, I won't notice that. The, our, our son needs help with something. I won't hear her calling me from the kitchen. I, I like, I'm just sort of frozen in, in my own little, uh, little zone. Uh, but if I do get up, I'm shuffling my feet and I'm, it's hard to, to balance. It's, you know, it's it, all the, everything sort of becomes very rigid. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it is disconcerting because it feels like you're regressing uh, in, in fast forward. Like if it was a tape player and you had a rewind on a fast forward in a, in a regular play or on your podcast where you can go from regular speed to like times two, it's like, it feels like the, uh, 
the, the Parkinson's has just hit times two. <laughs> Ashley, is that, uh, is that uh, how you've seen patients define it? Yes. So many of my patients have told me that it feels like they're uh, walking through molasses or that they get stuck. Uh, sometimes there can even be a, a, a trepidation or an anxiety where they, um, the off times come unpredictably. Uh, like it was described before, where they could be walking across the street and suddenly there's an off. Um, and that can really become very troublesome and problematic with trying to uh, go about your, your daily life. Um, so many of my patients have described it as that. And then some of my patients who may not have as much uh, motor symptoms can describe their off as an, uh, an, an increase of anxiety, that this rush that they're, you know, I, I'm looking for my next medication. Um, I feel like there's something going on inside of me, but I have a lot of difficulty describing what that is. So it could be both motor and non-motor symptoms that people um, experience. And it's definitely up to the provider to try to uh, tease those out every time that they meet with, with one of the uh, persons that have Parkinson's disease. To back that up, there was a published uh, paper in Movement Disorders in 2020 examining how people with Parkinson's experience off time. And the paper used data from the Michael J. Fox Foundation's clinical study, Fox Insight, which I'm a part of, uh, and you should be too, Fox Insight, look it up. The study found that the three most common of the off symptoms were freezing of gait, apathy, and memory problems. So mm -hmm. as you said, Ashley, it can present itself as a mix of motor and non-motor symptoms. Yes. The study also found that some patients had trouble even explaining their symptoms and nearly half described bothersome symptoms that would be missed by a standard assessment conducted by doctors. Um, how, how can a person with Parkinson's or, or even their, their partner talk to their doctors about this topic uh, in a way that they would understand it? I'll start with Ashley and I'm going to go to Sonia and maybe Rick has some thoughts on that too. Okay. It's an excellent question. And like I said before, I think it's up to the provider to really delve into that when we're doing our general overview during um, our follow-up uh, uh, appointments with each other. Uh, so many times what may be helpful is I ask about two different things, the on times, the dyskinesias, the wiggly movements, um, how you feel when you when you feel your medication is kicked in. And then I specifically ask, um, you know, what are your offs? And many people have difficulty telling exactly what their offs are. It may be very nebulous. It may be something that they don't, they can't really describe. So um, what I usually ask people to, to do and also their family members is saying, uh, make a motor diary and, and kind of make a very quick bullet points of what happens through you throughout the day, both the extra on symptoms of wiggly movements and the potential offs of uh, increased stiffness, slowness, and tremor. If the patient really doesn't have as much insight into these potential offs, off symptoms. A lot of times I will ask the uh, caregivers or the family to say, do you notice when uh, this, uh, when the, your family member, your loved one uh, is, you can tell when they're ready for their next dose. And if you say yes, then I ask, okay, how do you know that your family member is ready for their next dose? Do you see it in their face? Do you, do, you, do you see them become more anxious? Do you notice that they are more stiff and more slow? And then how long does that occur before a dose? Because that can help with us really pulling out and recognizing what an off symptom may be and then potential uh, management options we can go with from there. You've mentioned dyskinesia a couple of times. Can, we, can you help define that for people who aren't familiar with that? 
Yes, so when uh, we mention uh, dyskinesias, these are basically uh, extra non-purposeful movements that can occur uh, when we see that our patients are really uh, what we call on their medication. Um, so not just improvement of tremor, stiffness, and slowness, but it can almost as if the levodopa uh, replacement can overshoot what you need. And so it can be in a purposeless uh, kind of a, a shifting of the head, the shoulder, the um, arms and legs. That's not usually when it's very mild. Uh, it's not bothersome to uh, the uh, person experience it, experiencing it, but their family members can notice that the person appears to be restless when it really becomes uh, more of an issue is when it, it, it's a definite, uh, when it keeps someone from walking or engaging in the activities that they wish to do from day to day. Um, so that's what we would define as a, as a dyskinesia. Okay. As Sonia, uh, you know, you're a physician and you're somebody who with Parkinson's, so you've seen both sides of the coin here. How would you advise people to talk to their doctor about this? Well, I, I mean, I do agree with Dr. Rawls that the clinician needs to ask the right questions, but I also think in this disease in particular, knowledge is power. So patients have to become educated about what that, the terms that they're going to be using or what information they need to give to their physician, such as when they're dyskinetic, what does that mean? Dystonic, when they have dystonia, what that means, on off, what that means, because your clinician is going to base their management um, decisions on based on what they see, but also what you tell them. So all those symptoms that um, Dr. Alls mentioned are very important in relation to the timing of your medications. Because sometimes you can get dystonia, you know, not just when you're off, but when you're on. And sometimes you can get dyskinesia the other way around too. They're rarer than the, the normal, but they still can happen. So that kind of timeline of your symptoms versus when you're taking your medication is really important. And Rick, uh, what's your, been your experience in talking to your MDS about this? Well, I'm doing the symptoms right now because I, I can't stop my head from shaking and all that. So I guess I'm a, a picture of what it can be at times. I'm on now. I'm ready to go, but uh, I'm moving around quite a bit here. So I was kind of laughing when you were describing the symptoms. But, um, you know, I do a lot of boxing. I just like to do that for to stay in shape and help with the Parkinson's. And I, my trainers, you know, because they're so close, they're watching me every, you know, working hard. They, they tell me that they can tell when I'm on and off after a while. I have three different trainers and each one of them has told me time. I know when to ease off. I can see you're not moving much. And then four minutes later, I'm punching as hard as I can and we move and, and we go right through the workout. So that's that people who, who, who get to know you can see it pretty, uh, I think, pretty easily if you're if you're have these kind of symptoms but well yeah i mean yeah. like i know my wife she'll go is it time for some uh, medication <laughs> <laughs> do you experience that too rick yeah 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 linda linda my wife knows uh, more about me than i do at this point you know the caregivers are unbelievable and uh, yeah it's uh, you know when i when i am off i usually get dystonia which is much worse than this mm. You know, when, you, when your arm starts whipping backwards and you can't stop, you know, stuff like that. What about you, Sonia? Yeah, I mean, um, our and my husband. Your daughters, too. Yeah, my daughters notice now. So if they see me moving slowly, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, they'll ask if they can run and grab my meds, which is very... You know, my 12-year-old my, uh, son does that 12, as well. He's, he'll go, Dad, do you need your meds? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it makes them feel like they're part of the solution. Yeah. Or, you well, know, it's, it's great to give them a job. Exactly. It's empowering for them to be able to feel like they can do something to help you. Um, 
what, what are your conversations with your spouses like when you're talking about on and off? And do you have, have you created like one of the things that I've created is I know I'm exhausted at the end of the day, whether, you know, I'm, I'm off after five just because I'm working full time and everything else. And so by, by five o'clock, I cannot answer open-ended questions. So we have a rule in the house that after five o'clock, it's yes, no questions. It's, it's don't give me a, don't ask me what I want for dinner. Give me a choice between two things. <laughs> well, how have you approached discussing what you need um, with your, with your spouse? I think we've spoken about this before, Larry. I'm terrible at it because I don't know half the time what I want from the the answer to the, the the question, are you off? Well, yes, I'm off, but sometimes that means I want help and sometimes it means don't help me because I got to do what I'm doing. And if I don't get through it, I'm going to be frustrated. <laughs> so, you know, my poor husband has to kind of navigate that uncertainty of what his response should be, but he's very good at it now. He can kind of tell when I'm just being, you know, something that I have to do myself, even though I'm off and I just need to be stubborn about it versus I just really need some help at the moment. Does he ask, do you want help? He can usually tell by the answer to, oh, you seem like you're off. And then <laughs> depending on what answer he gets, yeah, he can usually I'm, tell what the answer is. If I'm doing a, 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 a task like trying to button my shirt and I'm off, right, right. he'll go, Are you, do you need help? I'm like, no, I'll, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then there's times where I'm off and I'm chopping celery or carrots. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to take this knife out of your hands now. Wise. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, How about I, you, Rick? I think this is what creates a lot of tension sometimes because, you know, I, I, sometimes I try to gather things and be ready for my off time, TV remote, stuff like that, water and all that kind of stuff. And uh, at time, then I'll, I'll shuffle over and finally sit down and then I'll see something over the other way I forgot to bring with me. And I go, Linda, can you help me? With and you know, after a while, it gets to be old, you know, and, and I feel bad that I have to ask for things and I don't want to, I don't want to upset her. She's not upset, but you know, it, it just is the tension sometimes on silly things like that that bother me a lot. That you know, I, and that's when I get frustrated. It's like, why? You know, just I'm gonna get up and get the damn thing and bring it right back, you know, and I can't right. do it sometimes. So that's that's frustrating. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it goes to, and I think a lot of people with Parkinson's uh, at, at different times feel like they don't want to be a burden to their family. Exactly. Um, and that's it sounds like you know, we've, I mean, we've talked about it and she's like, listen, I married you. So this is what we signed up for. This is all part of the deal. This, this is not burdensome. This is just marriage. Uh, but you know, it's still hard to, you still feel guilty or whatever you feel. I, I oftentimes do. And it's tough um, because you, you want the help. You want to, to be there and you want to be as independent as you can be. Um, and you want to be there for your kids and you want to be able to do the things that other parents can do. And, um, so for me, me personally, I won't speak on behalf of you guys, but from my perspective, it, um, uh, that's one of the most frustrating parts of the disease is that you cannot plan for family events and everything else, because you don't know how you're going to feel two weeks from today at four o'clock. <laughs> like, I don't want to sound macho. I'm really not a macho guy, but all my life, you know, I, I, I sort of took charge of things and, and, and I was the one who, who you know, did things you know, whenever I wanted to and stuff like that. Now I'm dependent on others. And it's hard sometimes to make that transition from uh, being the, the man, as it were, you know, at work or whatever. And then coming home and my world is shrinking <laughs> because yeah. of all these off times. 
it's hard. You know, we, we, I went to my niece's wedding earlier this summer. It was in uh, San Diego. And, what, and it's just it's so hard to get there because you go to the airport and you don't know if you're going to be on or off. So I get in a wheelchair. You go through all the customs. I mean, by the time I get on a plane, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. So you find you're doing less and less travel, less and less movement. And, uh, you know, it's, it's part of life and, and, and I can deal with it. But it's just uh, frustrating. That's the biggest thing for me. It's frustrating. Ashley, do you have any advice on how uh, people can handle their off times? Uh, yes. Uh, would you like me to address address it from the, the medication perspective or? Give it all to us. We need okay. everything. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, so with off times, these are things that can naturally occur uh, when you're taking your levodopa medication. And as the uh, Parkinson's disease progressive, they usually become more and more prominent. Um, so things that can be done to help with off time are one, recognizing them uh, and speaking with your in your spouse and your doctor um, to figure out exactly what your off times entail and then how long they last and if they're in relation to the medications themselves, um, because that's going to help guide uh, treatment and management with your uh, with your provider, uh, your, your Parkinson's disease uh, specialist. Uh, things that can be helpful uh, to making sure that your medication regimen is correct or, uh, or optimal, I guess you could say. Uh, sometimes we ask our patients if the off times are occurring, uh, for example, an hour before your next dose. Sometimes we will recommend moving the dose earlier so that you don't go completely off. Uh, that can be helpful. Sometimes we uh, will recommend taking a half tablet of, for example, a, a Cinemet or Carbidopa Levodopa, the immediate release, and chewing it uh, about either an hour or half an hour before your next dose, depending on how long you've been, you, how long you're wearing off times are, to bridge you a little bit until your next dose. Some people will recommend. Um, uh, th- taking your uh, uh, dopamine or, or your levodopa replacement 30 minutes before or 30 minutes after a meal, because sometimes protein uh, can uh, uh, compete with the uh, absorption of the dopamine from the levodopa that you're taking in. And so in order to help with that, to make sure that they're not competing with each other, we try to um, make our meals a little bit further apart um, from the actual medications themselves. Sometimes what others can do as uh, what can be considered is taking a longer acting formulation of the levodopa. For example, there is Cinemet immediate release or IR. That's what uh, many of my patients are on. They also have a Cinemet CR, which is a continuous release. However, the continuous release, the reason why people don't take that usually as their main uh, levodopa replacement is because it can be unpredictable, unfortunately but it's supposed to be slowly released throughout the day. So you and your uh, neurologist could consider taking a continuous release earlier in the day and having it slowly release and then taking the immediate release on top of that. Another thing with that, there's also a formulation that has both the uh, a type of the immediate release and the controlled release of levodopa uh, called Ritari. Uh, this is a, a newer medication that is on the market for the past couple of years, and people seem to uh, like that because it gives you the boost that people usually uh, at least explain or look for with the uh, intermediate release of carbidopa levodopa or Cinemet, but also has the long-acting form underneath it. Underneath it 
to help keep you from having so many spikes, so many ons or offs. There are also uh, what we call calm T inhibitors like entacapone or Comtan that are on the market that can help uh, kind of stretch out the uh, levodopa for probably about 30 minutes or so that can be taken along with, along with your uh, regular Parkinson's disease regimen to help uh, kind of maybe shave off a little time with those off times. As time goes on, is it, is it better to take less? Is it better to take more? Does it make a difference as far as not quality of, but just, you know, how much it all stops working? Okay. So uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, So I would not say that the medication itself becomes ineffective. I believe that the disease itself just continue to progress because um, you're losing the dopamine producing cells in the substantia nigra. So it stands to reason that over time you would need uh, more and more dopamine replacement that comes with it. Uh, So I I know some people are uh, aversive to medications and may seem like they do not uh, wish to take so much or you're taking the carbidopa, levodopa, you know, end up being every two hours and every hour and that can be disrupted through your life. Um, But it is something that I look for more of the quality of life, okay, that comes with it, if I may be honest. Um, To me, it's important for you to maintain a functionality so that you can do the things that you love during the day, even though it may be inconvenient with the amount of medication medications or types of medications that you may take. But again, that's also a discussion that you have with yourself and your family and your provider as well, um, from my perspective. Yeah, I, 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 I like that answer. I, I, I find that um, I, I didn't, I was not a regular taker of pills. I didn't have any medications that I was taking regularly before Parkinson's and I was, I was hesitant. And then after um, after we've got the the levodopa carbidopa correct, um, oh my God, I love pharmaceuticals. Just give them to me. Uh, I, I want to feel good now. I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to hold off on it. I just just uh, if without them, I couldn't do what I do. Um, I, I wouldn't be before I I took uh, Cenomet or or or, or carbidopa levodopa. I, I couldn't type. I couldn't put my hand in my pocket. I couldn't walk very well. I was falling all the time. And then with with the uh, with with the right amount of sentiment, I have all that back, and, and it's a lot of exercise too, but uh, and, and and therapy. Uh, but uh, I didn't realize when I was diagnosed that I could get some of that functionality back. And, and with the medication and physical therapy and occupational therapy, I was able to do that, and that that was exciting to me. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Larry. I think that we have to make sure that people understand they don't have to be afraid of medications because until there's a cure or some sort of drug that can modify this disease, it's all about quality of life, as Dr. Halls was saying. So taking the, you know, Cinemat or Carbilevodopa, if it helps you feel better and makes your life more enjoyable and, and you can function better, then that that's worth taking. Do you, uh, Rick or Sonia, have any tricks that you do when you uh, when you're off? Is there anything that always works or sometimes works or things you try all the time? Well, I, I do what Dr. Rawls mentioned. I, I've tried other sort of rescue medications, but what works for me the best is chewing a cinnamon, so taking it sometimes something carbonated so it absorbs faster and just waiting it out. 
Um, but also for me, Larry, it's about preventing them in the first place, because I know mine are fairly predictable. That means I have to take my medications on time, which you think after all this time would be easy, but uh, no, is not. I often am delayed with my doses. Um, Why is that? I, like I set timers. I... I don't know what it is. Anything else seems more interesting than taking your medication, yeah. I guess. Um, but also preventing it with self-care things like making sure I get enough sleep, making sure I exercise first thing in the morning, because that seems to help me stretching out these sorts of things that I know will sort of hopefully make it less likely that I experience an off time um, is something I try and schedule in as well. I'm one of those that doesn't like to take the medication, not because I'm afraid of it. I understand the, the concept, but for me, it's maybe it's psychological. I feel like if I can just exercise and get some sleep. I have a good day usually if I have a, if I don't sleep much and I didn't get to exercise hard, right. I have a bad day. So you know, to me, it's like the drugs are like secondary for, for my life and what I think works for me. Mm -hmm. but exercise and sleep to me is what's keeping me going. Did you ever ice your arm as a pitcher? All the time, yeah. Why would you do that? Right. <laughs> Say again. Just suffer through it. You can get through. It. You can man up. Well, you know, I, I, my nickname in uh, baseball was Bulldog. And it sort of sums up my mentality. We've <laughs> gone through it, you know. You'll be well, right. You know, uh, I'm sure you took a few pain pills too. I didn't. No, we I should mean, have. See, this is, it, well, this is what I'm I telling you. It's a whole new world, right? I'm serious, you know. When I had, uh, I've had some serious things happen along the way when I've had Parkinson's, and because I didn't want to take a lot of medication, I take you know two aspirin, yeah, <laughs> for, for a major surgery, and I just sort of. Wow. I know it's dumb. It's crazy, maybe, but it helps me. It works for me. Well, good. Well, whatever works for you, is it's about quality of life more than anything. I do want to talk about um, have going into an off time when you least expect it. Um, I was at a birthday party for a kid across, the, you know, one of my, my son's friends, uh, and I started having uh, off time. And uh, there was all these kids running around, and I started getting panicked. And so I just went over to my wife and I said the code word and then she excused us. Um, I think that's important to have a game plan going someplace to, to the, like if something goes wrong and you need to get out of there, whether it's by yourself or with your spouse, there needs to be a quick way to say that without drawing attention to yourself because none of us want to be, you know, the center of attention when we're off. Uh, right. But uh, I find that's really helpful because um, uh, I know if I get around too many people or there's too much fast action, it's my anxiety kicks in. Do you have any of those types of tricks or, or codes or have you guys talked about that with your spouse? Yeah. I, I just, if they go off, I say, let's get out of here. I, I'm not doing well and, and we go, you know? I mean, that's basically the plan. I don't, I don't make any plans beyond that, I guess. Sonia? Yeah, no, um, I think you know, I've had it so long that Arn kind of can see it yeah. before it starts to go. Right. So he'll sort of direct the evening as needed. Awesome. Ashley, what kind of research is going on in this area to uh, help with the off times? So uh, with off times, which is definitely uh, one thing that comes up several times with, with our patients in, in the clinic, um, the research that we have going on is trying to figure out how to at least uh, either decrease the off time or make it so that when it does occur, we have an intervention that we can uh, take so that the um, off time will, will be much shorter. 
So things that are currently on the market are going to be uh, uh, apokin, which, uh, which is an apomorphine. Basically, it's an injectable uh, that acts very similar to dopamine that we have in our brain, that when someone is off, you inject, uh, you inject it and then very shortly thereafter, uh, the person can move a little bit better to the point where they can uh, at least uh, start taking extra dosage of their med uh, if, if their next time for their doses is, is, is not available at that time. Um, another one is going to be uh, Embresia. This is also a, a newer medication as well. This is the inhaled levodopa form, which I believe is FDA approved back in 2018. Um, this is an as-needed medication that you take along with your regular uh, anti-Parkinsonian medication regimen. So if someone becomes acutely off, they can use, it, it's basically almost like an asthma inhaler. Uh, the dopamine particles are inhaled through the lung, and then you it takes about maybe 10 minutes to an uh, potentially an hour or so uh, uh, where you have that, uh, where it kicks in about 10 minutes and you have about an hour's worth of time until you know, your next dose should happen. Um, so these are something that are already on the market, FDA approved that can be used. Um, but again, you got one thing that can be difficult with those is that when you're off and nobody's around you, you may have difficulty giving yourself an injection or may have some difficulty using in the inhaler. Um, so what we're looking for is something uh, a little bit um, easier to use. They have a, a subcutaneous or underneath the skin uh, infusion device uh, that, they, that actually infuses dopamine almost like an insulin pump. The uh, subcutaneous uh, dopamine infusion uh, devices are under research protocol currently, um, and hopefully we should be having some data coming out with that soon, but it looks promising. There's also, um, Dr. Wells, the sublingual, I believe, apomorphine as well. Um, on the market which already, which is under the tongue, kind of like a Listerine breast strip or something that you put under your tongue, it dissolves and um, mm -hmm. it's supposed to give you relief as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I don't know specifics what coming, what's coming down the pipeline, but those are sort of the broader categories as Dr. Alls mentioned. There is, there is something, there's something I'd like to mention that we haven't mentioned. And I think it's as big as anything else. It's better have a sense of humor about this whole thing, <laughs> about life and about Parkinson's. We haven't mentioned that. And that to me is like huge. It's, that's right up there with exercise for me. If I can't laugh at myself and laugh at what's going on, I think I'd be dead by now. I really do. I, I know people who sit on the couch, into the couch, feeling sorry for themselves. And two years later, they're not around. Yeah. You, you stay active, you have friends, and you have a sense of humor about it. You, you can get by, I think, more, more often than not. Oh yeah, I laugh all the time. We laugh at, I break a dish. We laugh. I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually started an improv troupe for people with Parkinson's. We laugh all the time. Yeah, it's it's important. I think you know. Like, no, it's, it's all part of the quality of life. In fact, yeah. when you're when you're with friends, you're you're engaged. You're able to focus on conversation, or it helps you. Uh, it could help you create some new neural pathways because you're more engaged than maybe you typically are You're because you have to be alert and aware of what they're saying in order to respond to them. Um, you have to, you, you're trying to use your facial expressions more. If you're laughing, you're actually stretching your, those out. So your, your frozen face becomes a little less frozen. I mean, it's like laughter is great for a lot of things. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And uh, it's important to me. I know that. Well, I know you make me laugh. 
<laughs> just by my looks, right? Just say that. <laughs> I just look at you and I go, look at that guy. Hey, he's funny. <laughs> uh, I can take it, Doc. I can take it. <laughs> All right. So uh, any final words about off times before we turn this podcast off? Um, just that, you know, it, it can happen with time or depending on this, the individual's disease experience, but it is something that can be managed. It's not something that you necessarily have to live with. You just have to recognize it or your care partner has to recognize it. And you have to express that to your physician or your medical management team. And uh, hopefully they can improve it because, you know, the issue is the quality of life. And um, these can really adversely affect your quality of life if you don't get it taken care of. Rick, any final words? Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, to me, maybe it's, it's good to be, you know, simple-minded like myself because it makes it easier to think through things. No, I just think, uh, again, you know, it's, you do the best you can. Uh, Satchel Page was a pitcher for the uh, old Cleveland Indians, and he was in the old Negro Leagues for years. He's, a, he's one. Of, and he, had a, he said, uh, I never look back because someone may be gaining on me. And that's the way I look at it, you know, it's just, just keep going forward as far as you can, as long as you can. And when, and when you stop, you, you, you know, you stop. I mean, that's it. You're dead, to be honest with you. So I go as far as I can, as long as I can, enjoy life as best I can. And I think that's what gets me through. That's great. Dr. Rawls? Yes. Uh, I would say for final closing thoughts that um, the off times can be just can be just as important as your on times. So really um, understanding what is going on in your body, and if you have difficulty um, seeing that, then asking your family members uh, can really be helpful in helping to manage your care. Uh, because I know that many times you come into the clinic, um, you know, you have your half an hour, you talk about different things, you try to get your, your regimen as straight as you can, but um, you really want to bring this up uh, with your physician if they do not um, actively bring it up with you for uh, whatever reason. So uh, it may take some introspection and don't be afraid to ask your spouse um, or your family members to chime in to help us try to identify not just the on symptoms of when you're doing really great, <laughs> Uh, but also the off symptoms so that we can, so that you and your, um, your family and also your uh, care team can really discuss uh, potential options to really enhance your quality of life. Because that to me is, is the big thing with my patients is giving you the best quality of life to allow you to live out your daily functions um, with the, the optimal treatment that we have available. Would it be helpful to take video of the off times just so you could see what they're trying to say? Yes. So as a movement disorder specialist, we love videos. So that's really helpful as well to take a video um, to really to show what is going on, because sometimes the uh, medical terminology that we use um, on the on the physician side doesn't uh, quite correlate to what the, the patients may be experiencing um, or, or how how the patient, their family uh, uh, describe what's going on. So showing a video saying, yes, this is what my off time 
looks like can really help us visualize exactly what you mean. And so then say, oh yes, this is definitely an off time. This is a, uh, this is a dystonia. Some people can actually get off dyskinesias or off wiggly movements. Um, so those are things that are helpful to us. Oh, this is your freezing of gait so that we can help um, put everything into context and then make a plan together on what would be the, the optimal treatment. I'm just gonna add here as we, as we close up, um, if, you're, if you're like me and uh, once a week you sit down and you sort out all your pills into a, a big pill, uh, pill, pill box that has like 16 different slots for four times a day or whatever, uh, don't do that when you're off because you'll, you'll end up with more medication than you know what to do with or it'll end up on the floor. Or <laughs> so, so now um, uh, it's gotten to the point where my wife sits down there with me and she, she closes each pill slot as I go along and make sure I do it right. And, and that's really, you know, when we talk about uh, partners and Parkinson's, it's not necessarily, she's not my caregiver, but there are things that she can help me with. And so uh, there are, um, I, I really appreciate that about uh, Rebecca and, and how she's embracing, um, you know, the role and, and, and helping me when I need it and then giving me space when I don't. And then, or, or asking me, do you need help? Do you not need help? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant, uh, you know, as the disease progresses, so, 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 so should your conversations. Uh, with your spouse and your doctor. Uh, all right. So uh, thank you, all of you, uh, Rick and Sonia and uh, Dr. Rawls. Uh, this has uh, been uh, very insightful and uh, cathartic, I think, too, Rick. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I agree. Also, uh, remember to set your pill timer so you're not late for your levodopa. If you want to learn more, there are some great videos, blogs, and webinars at the Michael J. Fox Foundation website. Just go to michaeljfox.org slash off michaeljfox.org slash off. On behalf of my guests and all the hardworking people at the Michael J. Fox Foundation who are here until Parkinson's isn't, I'm Larry Gifford. I'll talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. <laughs>